The one who walks among the seven golden lampstands says this, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil men. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they are not. And you found them to be false and you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first or else. I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Father, we want to thank you so much, Father, for us coming together today to hear your message. And Father, we lift it up to you. Not only the message, but Father, we lift up Pastor Catherine, that Father, you will keep your hand upon her, Father. And when she speaks, it will be your words that are being heard by us. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that you would keep your hand upon her from the time that she starts all the way through to the end of the message. And Father, we lift up each and every person online, in person, in-house, Father, and ask that you will not only keep your hands upon them, but Father, that our hearts, our minds, our eyes, our ears will be open. And that, Father, we will take to heart your message Father, in the name of Jesus, that we also are praying for the technology, that, Father, you will keep your hands upon all the electronics and technology, that there will not be any problems whatsoever. And, Father, we just ask that you will bless your message today. Bless Pastor Catherine as she brings forward your, your message, Lord. And bless everyone, Father, in their hearts. Jesus Christ, the Nazarene. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. How are you guys? Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I'm so blessed. And I was so. Amen. Amen. And I was so blessed by the worship service because truly that's what this message is about. It's about loving God about loving our Lord Jesus. And I'm so blessed that as listen to the worship service and I was thanking the Lord, Lord, thank you that only you could do this, that you could handpick your worship with your message. That truly, you know, just, you know, and you can't sing those songs and not be moved if you have love in your heart for our God, for our King, for our brother, for our father, for our friend. 
And so I'm so blessed by this. And when I asked the Lord a week ago, what was his message for today? He instantly said, but I have this against you. And so I was, I knew it was going to be good. And, you know, and it was such a blessing, you know, this, you know, and even with the slides, with the, 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 the photos and the pictures on the slides, I pray even for those. It's like, Lord, I've heard once that a picture is worth a thousand words. Would you even give me the visual of what you, what you want to be seen? And so looking at this beautiful young woman dressed in all this white, looking like a bride, but her back is turned. And the look on her face is not a, a look of love or joy. She's turned away. And looking at her and then hearing the words of the Lord, Jesus saying to his church what he knows about them. He acknowledges what he knows and he reproves what he has against them. And even as you go through this list, I know your deeds, your toil, your perseverance, that you cannot tolerate evil men. You put to test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you found them to be false. Your perseverance, you have endured for my name's sake. You have not grown weary. I want you guys to take note in that list of him acknowledging what the Church of Ephesus has done. Perseverance is there twice. And this is in the NASV 95. Perseverance is there twice. It's the third bullet point, and it's the third bullet, third, third bullet point from the top, and it's the third bullet point from the bottom. Twice he says in that 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 verse, those verses that this that he knows he acknowledges that perseverance. And we're going to look more at what these mean. But the fact that he then says, you know, because looking at that list, that list is pretty impressive. That looks like somebody who's really walking with God. And, and, and they've not grown weary. And yet he says, when I have this against you, you have left your first love. You have left your first love want to just quickly give some background to the church of, uh, concerning the church of Ephesus, this church that he's talking to. Um, if we could go to the next slide. Now there's lots, you'll see that there's lots of scriptures on there. We're not going to go through all those scriptures today, but please, please, please get this from you know, um, the pastors at Logos, the ministry team, get this from them and go through it as a personal study. You know, if um, please get it, you know, and you can get it. In fact, all the pastors get these messages. So you can get it from pastors at Logos and Cornerstone. You know, you could get it from tribal, you know, um, just, you know, contact one of them and get this message, get this PowerPoint and go through it for yourself. 
you know, Paul, the Church of Ephesus, this is, uh, this, the book of Ephesians is actually called a, 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 a prison, prison epistle. It's, it was a, a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus while he was in prison in Rome. And he wrote this, and this letter to these saints in Ephesus became the book of Ephesians. And he was writing to them, you know, to encourage them, you know, to, you know, to just walk through and just, you know, continue. To, you know, he was invested. And the Lord had him speak to his people. Though he was away from them, he was still speaking to them. You know, this is also the church that Paul and Aquila and Priscilla came to from Corinth. Paul met Aquila and Priscilla in Corinth. And Aquila and Priscilla had been put out of Rome. The, you know, all the Jews were being put out of Rome. They had been put out of Rome and they had come to Corinth. And when Paul came to Corinth, he met them. And when he met them, all of them, were tent makers. Their parents were tent makers, so they were tent makers. And they worked together for a season at Corinth, and then they left. When Paul left for Ephesus to do more missionary work, he brought Aquila and Priscilla with him. When Paul got to Ephesus, like in every place the Lord had sent him, he brought the message of Jesus. He brought the message of Jesus. You know, he brought the gospel. And he first brought it to the Jewish people in the synagogue. You know, Paul, even though the Lord said, I'm sending you to the Gentiles, Paul would always speak to both to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. The Jew first was because they had a personal relationship with God at one time. The Lord handed his word down through the Jewish nation. That's why you hear to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. You know, so he would always come first to the Jewish people wherever he was going. He came to a synagogue there. But, you know, and then he met, you know, and Aquila and Priscilla, you know, he went on. He left there and went on, you know, uh, because he was trying to get back to Jerusalem by the Passover. And he left Aquila and Priscilla and Aquila and Priscilla were there and ended up starting a home church. But Apollos said, you know, you hear about this other apostle, Apollos, you know, that, you know, but they mentored him in Ephesus. You know, he had come into the congregation and he had powerfully talked about the, the word of God and he had accurately talked about the word of God. But he only talked about what he knew. And they pulled him aside to give him the whole picture. John was the beginning. He was, he was the forerunner. His ministry was repentance to prepare the hearts for Jesus. And when they did it, he became even more powerful, more powerful as he, you know, truly, you know, spoke the gospel. Paul did missionary. He came to a second time. Paul went to Ephesus three different times he came a second time to the church of Ephesus and he did missionary work not only among the Jews but also the Gentiles there and this time he started a church and the Lord while Paul was in Ephesus our God did extraordinary miracles by his hand 
and the church was growing. This is in Ephesus was the place. There were seven sons of Seba who were trying to do what they were witnessing Paul doing. And they came to this house of this very demonic man and tried to cast this demon out. And this demon said to them, you know, it's there in Acts 19, 11 through 20. I, we know Jesus and we've heard about Paul, but who are you? And that one demonic man beat down seven men, beat them so bad he beat their clothes off of them. And it was heard all over Ephesus. And that's when the church really grew. And these people started burning their witchcraft and all that stuff and came to the Lord. When Paul left, this time he called Timothy, who had been, he had been mentoring Timothy. And the Lord, you know, uh, put his hand on Timothy through Paul to minister at the church of Ephesus. And when you look at the book of Ephesians, predominantly through that book is love. It's about love. It's about, you know, ministry. It's about, you know, accuracy, you know, of the word. And they had some powerful apostles in there. And that's why when the Lord says, you know, one of the things that I acknowledge, can we go to the next slide, please? Thank you. Is in point number four. The Lord acknowledges that they cannot tolerate evil men. And point five, you have put to test those who call themselves apostles and they are not. And you found them to be false. The Lord had blessed them to see the true apostles. And so they would carefully examine those called, coming through calling themselves apostles. And they would confirm whether they were, you know, you know, by observing them. They carefully observed them, observed them. Let's go to Matthew 7, verse, uh, uh, verses 15 through 20. And let's actually start with, um, can we start with the um, Salandejo household? Matthew 7, chapter 15, verses 20. And Eric, if you want to, or whoever in your family you want to read, would you please read Matthew 7, 15 through 20? If you guys are there, you're still on mute. Sorry, but... Yeah, I'll read it. Okay. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15 to 20. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep clothing, but inwardly are revenues wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from distals, are they? So very good tree bears good fruit but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce a bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good, good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. 
Amen. Amen. That's the same advice the Lord gives us. We're called to observe. Observe. You know, are they walking their talk? Do they live? Do they speak? You know, because it's useless speaking. You can do it for a while, but does your, you know, does it line up with the word? The Lord says, let no unwholesome thing come out of your mouth. How do they speak? How do they live? How do they walk? And the Lord, he doesn't say judge them, but he does say observe them. He said, you will know them by their fruit. You will know them by their fruit. And their fruit is either the attributes of our God, love and patience and kindness and gentleness, or they're the attributes of the enemy. Their flesh, the deeds of the flesh. He said, just observe them. You'll see. You'll see. But he also, you know, deeds, he acknowledged their deeds. And deeds are actions performed intentionally or consciously. These are not something that you accidentally do whenever. And that's what the Lord also judges, will judge us on, is our deeds. Let's look at um, uh, Ezra 7.10. Um, in Ezra 7.10, can we stay with the house, the Salandejo household? I want to read Ezra 7.10 and Psalm 17, 3 through 5. They're not here, but I'm the only one. You're the only one? Okay, then I will yeah. keep asking you. Thank you. Thank you, brother. You're welcome. Yeah, okay, you. let's move to... Um, Let's move to Logos. And uh, Pastor Edmund, would you um, give someone Ezra 7.10 and Psalm 17.3 through 5 through someone else? And would you take Revelation 20, verse 11 through 13? Okay, so that's Ezra, <coughs> excuse me, that's Ezra 7.10. And then what were the subsequent verses again? Okay, uh, Psalm 17, 3 through 5, and they're all on the screen. And then um, would you read Revelation 20, 11 through 13? Uh, sure. Okay. Yeah, uh, Pastor Rochelle, take Ezra 7, 10, and okay. then Psalm 17, uh, name, and I'll take Revelation 20. Okay. Ezra 7, 10. <clears throat> For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. Amen. Amen. Pastor Rochelle, how many different deeds did Ezra do in that one passage? He did, let's see, he set his heart to study the law, that's one, uh, to practice it too, and to teach it. Uh, three. Amen. Amen. Those were all deeds that he intentionally sent about. He intentionally set to know God's word and then to walk in God's word and then not be a fat sheep. Give that word out to teach that word to others, not to hold it to himself. You know, freely God gave it to him and freely he gave it out. I love that about Ezra. 
I love that about Ezra. That was my heart. Lord, Lord, let me, let me understand your word, to sit and speak with you and understand your word and let me walk and let me be an effectual doer, not merely a hearer. And then Lord, send me out to share the good news with somebody else. I love Ezra 17. Okay, Psalm 17, three through five. <clears throat> Psalm 17, 3 through 5. You have tested my heart. You have examined me at night. You have tried me and found nothing evil. I have determined that my mouth will not sin. Concerning what people do by the words from your lips, I have avoided the ways of the violence. My steps are on your paths. My feet have not slid. Nahum, how many different, first of all, I praise the Lord that he acknowledged that the Lord had examined him. The Lord tells us to examine ourselves. And, you know, and the best way to examine ourselves is to ask the Lord to examine us. So he's testifying that the Lord had examined him and examined him and he found him, you know, um, righteous in his sight through his son, but he also these are the deeds he had purposed in his heart to do. How many are there and what are they? Um, I think there are three. Um, keeping avoiding the ways of the violent. Um, and then determining that his mouth will not sin and then also that his he will step on his paths. Uh, he will step on his paths. What paths? Uh, God's past. Oh, amen. Very good. And so by stepping on uh, God's past, whose past does he avoid? The enemies. Uh, the who? The enemies are sinners. Uh-huh. That he says, you know, he walks in Psalms 1-1. That he doesn't seek the counsel. He doesn't walk with and he doesn't, you know, sit among those that, you know, no enemy of, you know, God's is a friend of his. He doesn't hang out with him. He doesn't hang out with him. These are all some really important deeds. It keeps us clinging to the Lord. It keeps us with the Lord, which is powerful. And finally, Pastor uh, Edmund, Revelation 20. 11 through 13. Okay. Revelation 20, verse 11 always. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it and whose presence earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead and the great and the small standing before the throne and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books, according to their deeds. According to what? Their deeds, their work, their action and behavior. Come on. Those, uh, keep, keep going, Pastor. Okay. Verse 13. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they would judge every one of them according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. 
And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Which was a spiritual death. In fact, when the white throne was set up, this is the second resurrection. And it's the resurrection, you know, of the ungodly. And the Lord, you know, they are judged. They are judged by their own behavior, their own conduct. By their deeds twice, he says they're judged. They're, you know, when, and not they, us. We are judged by what we do. We can't get up there and say, Lord, but this is what we do. What we do. You know, they also, the Lord acknowledged their toil. That they worked continually despite hardship and pain and service to the Lord. They worked continually despite that, serving the Lord and on behalf of others. And the Lord says, I see it. I see it. First Corinthians chapter 4, 11 through 13. Can we go to Christus household? Hello. Hi, how are you? Good. Well, sorry, what was the, the verse? First again? Corinthians chapter 4, verse 11 through 13. First Corinthians chapter four, verses 11 through 13. To this present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty and are poorly clothed and are roughly treated and are homeless. And we toil, working with our own hands. When we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. When we are slandered, we try to conciliate. We have become as the scum of the world, the dregs of all things, even until now. These were the apostles that were going to this. Thank you so much. Thank everyone for reading so much. These were the apostles, because if you read up, you'll see who was going through all this hardship. Who was being treated so badly? And yet we know that every single one of them finished the race. Not one of them, only Judas and Judas betrayed our Lord long before all the apostles began to go out and share the gospel to all creation. But all those of the Lord appointed as apostles, those 11 who were left, and, you know, Barnabas who joined them, and, you know, Paul and, you know, Luke and, and you know, Timothy, we you know, can keep going. Aquila and Priscilla, every single one of them. They went through some stuff. They went through some stuff, and yet they finished the race. They finished the race. They didn't quit. They toiled. They kept going. And that's what happened. That's what was going on. The Lord said, I, I see you. I see your deeds. I see your toil. I see your perseverance. To persevere is to remain in steadfast in your faith, even during the greatest trials and suffering. 
You are immovable. You trust the Lord Jesus Christ. You trust Father God no matter what. You're not moved by events. You're not moved by circumstances. You are steadfast in your trust and your faith of our Lord. Psalms 112.7. Um, can someone from Jin He's household read, please? And if you are there, uh, is Jenny's household still there? If you if you're there, I can't hear you. Are you muted? Or maybe Alex? Oh, did you mean like us? Like I thought it was like oh. For First Corinthians fifteen fifty eight, therefore, brothers and sisters, stand firm. And no, nothing no, moves. one twelve seven. Oh, but first, but first Corinthians fifteen fifty eight is good. I'll take that, Alex. Go ahead, bro. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Amen. You're not you're not moved. You continually give your work to the Lord because you know it's not in vain. Can you also read Psalms one twelve verse seven? Yep. Psalm one twelve seven. They will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting the Lord. Amen. Steadfast in faith. Bad news don't cause you to quit trusting the Lord. You are immovable. You continue to do what he's called you to do because of your trust in the Lord. We're going to move to um, verse 4 that you cannot tolerate evil men. And to not be able to tolerate evil men means not to allow the existence, the presence, or the practice of evil men within the congregation without interference. You're not afraid to address them to protect God's flock. That if the Lord tells you to protect them, if the Lord tells you to address and remove that evil man from your from your midst. You're not afraid to do it. And the Lord acknowledged that. And with that, um, my nephew Josh, can you read both First Samuel 2, 12 through 17? It's bullet point four and first Samuel 2, 22 through 25. Yep. Samuel 2, 12 through 17. Mm -hmm. 
now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord and the custom of the priests with the people. When any man was offering a sacrifice, the priest servant would come while the meat was boiling, with a three-pronged fork in his hand. Then he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. Thus they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Also, before they burned the fat, the priest servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give the priest meat for roasting, as he will not take boiled meat from you, only raw. If the man said to him, They must surely burn the fat first, and then take as much as you desire. Then he would say, No, but you shall give it to me now, and if not, I will take it by force. Thus the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for the men despised the offering of the Lord. And in that, these, these two guys were, you know, Eli was a high priest. These were, they were also priests. They're part of the priestly family. They had no regard for God. They had no regard for his sacrifice. What, you know, the, the, what that sacrifice meant, they had no regard for it. They had no regard for the person who was doing the sacrifice. They had, you know, and they wanted, you know, to take their share before they had no regard for God's word. He said, burn up the fat. And they said, nope, we want to fat. And we don't want to boil. We want to take it because we want to roast our meat. You know, you hear from time to time, a butcher says you need to leave some fat on it so it'll be much tastier. That's why they didn't want the fat burned up. But the Lord says, burn up the fat. Because fat contributes to clogging arteries. The Lord protects us. Clogged arteries, heart problems. When someone has a fatty diet. And the Lord, long ago when he laid the commandments, he knew what he had designed our, our bodies to eat. He knew how to take care of it. And so he said, burn up the fat. Burn up the fat. He also tells us, don't eat the meat with the blood in it. There's a lot of diseases in this world today that are a result of eating the blood in the meat. It wasn't just that it was for atonement. It was also, there are a lot of blood-borne illnesses. And yet they had total disregard for God, for his word, for his sacrifice, for him. Or the poor, you know, the, the servant that was doing it had total disregard. Let's see what happens to him. First Samuel 2, 22 through 25. Okay, uh, verse 22. Now Eli was very old, and he heard all that his sons were doing to all Israel, and how they lay with the women who served at the doorway of the tent of meeting. He said to them, Why do you do such things? the evil things that I hear from all these people. No, my sons, for the report is not good, which I hear the Lord's people circulating. If one man sins against another, God will mediate for him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they will not listen to the voice of their father, for the Lord desired to put them to death. Eli tolerated his son's behavior. 
This is an example of tolerating a behavior. You talk to him about it, but you don't remove him. He didn't do anything about his son's behavior. And their behavior was pretty bad. Not only were they doing, you know, disregarding God's word, disregarding, you know, but now we also learn that they're also in sexual sin. Fornication, adultery, because later you find out one of them's married. His wife dies giving birth and names her son Ichabod. They're doing all kinds of things. And this, this high priest, Eli, instead of removing his sons, he just talks to them. Because if you keep reading, and just for interest of time, but if you, you know, start the study, keep reading. Because then the Lord calls the young boy Samuel and tells him, this is what he's going to do to the household of Eli. And those two sons end up dying. End up dying. That's usually what happens to evil men who won't turn from their ways. They die. And those two sons end up dying. But Eli did nothing. Talking with someone and leaving them in the midst of the congregation to continue to grow and affect people. They didn't do that in the church of Ephesus. In fact, let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 20. And I think what I'm going to do is just stay with the nephews. And so, TJ in Cornerstone, are you there? And if you're talking, you're muted. I don't hear a thing. No, we're, we're here. Okay, TJ, would you first first Timothy 1.20? First Timothy 1.20? Uh-huh, first Timothy chapter 1, verse 20. Can you hear me, Pastor? I can, thank you. First Timothy 120. Among these are Hamanus and Alexander. Hamanus and Alexander, whom I have whom I have handed over to Satan, so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. To hand someone over to Satan is to put them out of the church. That they're no longer in the flock, in the fold. They've been put out to teach them not to blaspheme, to teach them not to sin. You know, that's what it is. It's a, it, it, you know, putting someone out seems hateful but it's actually twofold one it protects those who are in the flock and two it's meant to reconcile to discipline to correct the person who's been put out who's been put out 
It's like you just don't put them out and don't look back. You know, basically you ask them to leave. But you keep them in prayer. You keep them covered. You just move them from the point that they are infecting others with their sin. And if they turn around, the Lord, like the man in, in 1 Corinthians, who was with his wife, he, you know, his father's wife, they put him out. But that man had such remorse, he repented, he turned from it. And Paul said, bring him back and love him. And don't judge him and condemn him, bring him back. The purpose of moving them out is to change their heart and that they will come back and know that, you know, the Lord sometimes will send out there. And that's not us doing it. We can only do that if the Lord says. But it's like when they go out, you know, some, some, some things will happen out there. The Lord is interested in saving their soul. So sometimes their flesh, they got to go through some hard things in their flesh to get them to turn around. To get them to turn around. And it's like, and these, this, this group, they didn't tolerate. And the Lord said, put them, you know, and Paul, who started the church, and Timothy, who was his pastor, and said, you know, put them out. For interest of time, we won't uh, read Second Timothy two, but you guys, please get this, get this PowerPoint, get this lesson. So we go on, and you know they endured, they patiently endured for the for the Lord's namesake, for the Lord's namesake. In you know Luke twenty one in verses sixteen through nineteen, you know is is powerful. You know is an example of what it means to patiently and resolutely. You set your mind and you go through those trials and you go through those difficulties and you're suffering for no other reason that you are a Christian. For no other reason that you than that you are a Christian, but you that doesn't cause you to sit down and give up. You trust the Lord and press through. And you don't grow weary. You don't get tired of doing what God has called you to do. You don't get tired. You don't become exhausted or fatigued. And, the, and, and you know, you don't have a burden. Why? Because you're continually in the presence of the Lord, leaning against his chest. And he takes those burdens from you. You don't carry those burdens. He takes them. Can we move to the next slide? So the church of Ephesus were doing all these things, all these good things. The slide disappeared. Uh, it crashed, but we'll re upload. Okay.
There we go. Thank you, Lord. So the church of Ephesus, these saints were doing all these things. Things that most of us would say, well, that's, that's good enough. I'm serving the Lord. The Lord said, but I have this against you that you've lost your first love. I have this against you that you have lost your first love. And to leave your first love is not, it's a deliberate act. It's a conscious choice. It is when you abandon, depart from, forsake, desert, go back, withdraw from. You know, and you know, to withdraw from in John six through six, John chapter six, verse sixty-six, we had a bunch of disciples. When Jesus was talking spiritual things, they were thinking physical things and decided this is too hard to listen to. We are not cannibals. We are not going to drink his blood and eat his flesh. This is too hard. And they withdrew from him. Many of them and quit, quit serving him because they didn't understand and didn't want to understand. Didn't ask him questions, just said, this is too hard. Go back in Luke 9, 61 through 62. The Lord calls, called a particular man to, you know, a disciple to come. And he said, Lord, can I first go back home and say goodbye to my family? Can I first go back home, you know? And the Lord said, if you, you know, look back, put your hand in the palm and then look back. You're not worthy to be my disciple. He knows yeah, if we go back to where he's pulled us out from, it's not that he's being mean. He knows that that will hold us there. And it's like we have got to love him more than we love anything else or anyone else. And if we're not, if we are not willing to do that, we will never do what he's called us to do. And that's why he says, you're not worthy. We won't do it. If we have friends, we can't let go of. We can't leave them friends. We will never go with God where we need to go. Because we will always be looking back or going back to some friendship, to some relationship, to some dream, to some, got to lay it all down. Like, you know, Paul said in Philippians, I forget what lies behind looking to what lies before me. He's forgot it all. He counts it but trash, rubbish. Philippians 3, because his focus is straight ahead. His focus is on Jesus. And apart from Matthew 24, 12, where the Lord says, you know, because of sin is so rampant, there are many whose love will grow cold. They'll depart from the word of God. That's why the Bible there read me. A lot of people have a lot of hard times because they won't get into the word of God. They feel hopeless. They, 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 because they won't feed on the bread of life. And so they depart, they abandon. That Bible's got dust on it. It's been so long. And I'm, and I'm sure the life that is represented by that Bible. And someone put that message there because someone knew that person. That person was going through and the thing that they needed most was a the thing they, they abandoned and they departed from. See, what is first love? A Christian's first love is the fervent, personal, uninhibited, excited, and openly displayed devotion to Christ. 
is the honeymoon love of newlyweds. And Jeremiah 2, verses 1 through 2. Can we quickly go there and um, whoever gets there, there first, please read. But if you, if you can get there within the next minute max. Jeremiah 2, verses 1 through 2. And if not, I'll read it. Okay. Uh, Dora got it first. <laughs> Come on. All right, Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and proclaim in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, I remember concerning you the devotion of your youth, the love of your betrothals, betrothal engagement, your following after me in the wilderness. Through a land not sown. Amen. Now, Dora, read it again in your favorite translation. Okay. I'll do it in NLT. Uh, NLT. Okay. Uh, the Lord gave me another message. He said, go and shout this message to Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says. I remember how eager you were to please me as a young bride long ago. How you loved me and followed me even through the barren wilderness. The Lord said that young bride loved him. When we are first, when we're young and are, we love him. We're willing to go wherever it takes us, even if it's barren. As long as we're with him, we're going to go. And then when, you know, you begin to fall out of love, the newness of that love is like, do I have to get up? It's too early. It's still dark. Let me get a little more sleep. Lord, uh-uh. See, our love for the Lord, that same fervent and personal and uninhibited, we didn't care who knew that we love Jesus. That same excitement, that same open display of devotion to our Lord to be transitioning into a deeper love a love that makes the first love even better and stronger than at the beginning. You don't lose that first love. That's why this picture of the couple, Mr. and Mrs. Yet holding hands. That doesn't mean them two are honeymooners. They could have been married for years. In fact, we have an example of that kind of love between a man and a woman, between a husband and wife. That's what it should be looking like. Not like the world. It should be, you know, it should be that first love you had should be getting even deeper and better. Now, that the latter is even better than the former. And preferably, the former was really good. We're going to look at Jacob and Rachel in just two sentences. I mean, two verses to look at that type of love. Genesis 29:18-20. And again, the first one who gets there, Genesis 29:18-20, and would someone also get to Genesis 48:15-16. Genesis 29:18-20 and Genesis 48:15. Amen. I'll read Genesis 29. Okay. Um this is in the 
the NIV. Okay, Okay, come on. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, "I'll work for, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter Rachel." Laban said, "It is better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me." So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. And it kept and it kept going because what happened is after seven years, thank you, Pastor. After seven years, his future father-in-law deceived him and sent in the 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 first the older daughter instead of Rachel the younger. That's why to this day, the reason brides, the groom will lift the bride's veil off her face before saying I do. That came from from Jacob being deceived. Leah's veil wasn't removed. And he thought that whole wedding he thought was with Leah. It was with Rachel. It was with Leah. And so now the custom of a groom lifting his bride's veil to say I do. He don't even commit to marriage until he looks in the face of the woman he loves. That came from that. And he was deceived, worked for seven years for that woman, and it just seemed like a few days. Seven years. Most people are out of, out of love by then. But this man loved this woman so much that he worked for seven long years, and it was just like days. And the minutes and seven years were up, he went back to Laban. Okay, I've served my time. Give me my bride. And he was deceived. He was deceived and given the older sister. And now this, this deceiver said to him, you can have her, but you got to commit to another seven years. This is how much he loved that woman. He said, done. I will work for another seven years. And he stayed with Laban for another seven years. Then he worked another six years for the flocks. And he stayed in this land until Rachel began to give birth to his sons. When Rachel gave birth to Joseph, he was ready to go home. Even though Leah had given him many sons, the, the nurses, the concubines had given him children, he continued to work there. But when Rachel gave birth to Joseph. He was ready to go home. And when they they finally left, she was Joseph was there and she was pregnant with Benjamin. But this man loved that woman. He loved that woman. And he loved her so much that he had no love for Leah. Leah is considered an unloved woman. And the Lord saw that she was unloved and blessed her with these sons. In fact, out of Leah, the unloved woman, came the priestly line, Levi, came Judah, the line of our, our king of Jesus, and she was the one that was buried in the family tomb. In our Genesis, you know, study, you learn, you know, and you learn more about Leah. We learned about Leah, but the Lord saw her and blessed her. And in the end, this first wife, who was not loved, had the place of honor in this man's 
heart and life by me. But that took Rachel, his first love, dying. That's the kind of love we ought to have. It should be deeper and stronger than it was at the beginning. I love the passage in Genesis 48, 15 through 16. And this is Jacob's love as he talks about. You, as he talks about our shepherd. Who's, who's at Genesis 48? Uh, I think I got it, but I saw somebody raised their hand. No? Okay. <laughs> Genesis 48, verse 15 through 16. He blessed Joseph and said, the God before whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads and may my name live on in them and the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and may they grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. So he was blessing his son as he, you know, his grandsons, Bless his son and his grandsons as he was departing this life. But in that blessing, he talked about his relationship with our God, with our Lord. That he had been his shepherd all his life. And all the things that he had gone through. He called them few. I've, I've experienced just a little evil. Most folks would have given up. And said, but he was with me. At the end of his life, he was still loving our God. That's what first love looks like. That's what when time first love deepens, that love never goes away. It just gets deeper and stronger and better. Next slide, please. When examining the deeds of the Ephesian Christians, we see that their obedient behavior, their hard work on behalf of the body, their refusal to quit, regardless of the circumstances, their patience, their purity of doctrine, they, they wouldn't let nobody come in there and teach any kind of stuff, their intolerance of both wicked men and pretenders, all that they lacked a deep devotion to Christ. We need to make sure that we are not the church of Ephesus. That is the same warning. Could the Lord say that to us today that, you know, because our obedience and service to the Lord should never become rote. It should never be a routine or a fixed habit. It should never be something we can do without thinking about. It should never be something without joy. We should always come to our God with a whole heart, a willing mind. We should always come joyfully to our Lord. Christ wants believers' hearts as well as their hands and heads. In fact, the very first thing he says, to love him with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And for some of you, you'll say, wait a minute, God said that. Well, John 1.1. 1, 1. Jesus Christ is God the Son. Our God, you know, is, you know, he, he is the Son. He is the Father. He is the Shepherd. He is the Lamb. 
But we must love him first because only when we fervently, when we completely and totally love our God, can we truly serve him faithfully. The Lord talks about the traveling of his courts. There were folks in Israel offering all kinds of circumstances, sacrifices, observing all the festivals. And the Lord says, I wish someone would just close the doors. I'm tired of the sea. Our, 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 you know, everything we do without Jesus is just filthy rags. If he doesn't have our heart, that's like, you know, and, you know, with him and in any, any, any marriage, any relationship. If someone does not, you don't have their heart, they're not going to do well by you. They're going to do as good as, you know, as long as they, you know, as long as they get something out of it, they'll be good for you. But if they don't get anything out of it. You won't see their best. We do that to the Lord. What we do for the Lord is important. But more important is why we do it. In 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3, I will just talk about it. The Lord, you know, goes through things and says that, you know, if you don't have love, you're a clanging system. Uh, you know, you're just noise. If you don't have love, all these acts of charity don't, don't benefit to anything. If you don't have love, go ahead and sacrifice yourself. Burn, burn up. Then profit's your thing. You know, in fact, and uh, I think it's the NLT. This is where I move from that translation. Don't like they, 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 they did a thought for thought instead of word for word. NAS is word for word. It's more accurate. NLT says, if you don't love others. You know, this love is that, you know, you are doing this not for others. You're doing this for God. The word here for uh, love is agape. You know, it's the same word used in Matthew 24, 12, where their love grows cold because sin is so strong. If we don't love because we love God, all that we do doesn't mean anything. Doesn't mean anything. Let's go to the next slide, please. Thank you. Why does one forsake their love of our God, the love of Jesus? Because of sin. And that happens because they don't know him and they can't understand his word. You know, and these are all really good scriptures to, to you know, take some time to read. Jeremiah 4.22, Matthew 24.9, John 16, 1-3, 1 Corinthians 2.10-16. It's like, if we don't know him, then we can't understand his word. His word is spiritual and his Holy Spirit. It's the spirit of God that teaches us, gives us the mind of God when he wrote this book for our instruction, for our encouragement. We can't do it without him. 
There's a lot of people doing a lot of horrible things and they think they're doing it for the service of God. You can't love God if you don't know God. You can't love God if you love yourself more than God. Matthew 13, 20 through 21 talks about the seed that was sown on the rocky places. This man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, he's, you know, and yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. Serving the Lord, walking with the Lord is a central song. As long as it's good for him, for, for him they'll stay. But the minute it doesn't feel good, it gets too painful. It's too much of a sacrifice. It's too hard. They're blaming God and they're out. I get so sick of hearing people question and blame God for their sin. For their sin. There is that third group who start out saying that they love the Lord, but they their love grows cold. They forsake that love because of the deceitfulness of wealth. The worry of the world, you know, basically they're too busy. It's all about this life. It's all about this life. They too busy to get into the word. They too busy to pray. They don't have time. They, they got this going and that going. They can't. They can't make it to, to, to prayer meeting. They can't get the Bible study. They're having a t hard time getting to church. Because it's all about them. See, when you really love the Lord, you want to be in his presence. You want to sit at his feet. You want to drink from his cup. And you want to be able to be between his two shoulders and his heart. But you can't do it when it's all about you. You can't do it when you're not reading his word. You can't do it when you don't know him. You just can't. And you may think, oh, I love him. I love him. But you know what? Time will tell. Love equals obedience. Um, correction on the slide. I thought I corrected, but I didn't. First Peter 1.18 there should be First Peter 1.8. It should be First Peter 1.8, not First Peter 1.18. Can we move to the next slide? Here are some signs that you have forsaken your first love. You stop longing for the presence of God. You know, last week, Pastor Ray taught about the living water, taught about longing as a deer pants for water. So my soul longs for you. That quits happening. You quit longing for his presence. You stop reading his word. You got a Bible that you haven't picked up in quite a while. You have audio Bibles and you say, well, you know, 
I, I, I really don't have time anymore, or I can't see, or I can't, you know, there's audio Bibles that when you can't, can't see, you can hear. When you can't read, you're driving along, you can hear. But when you're playing your favorite tunes or listening to your favorite talk, row, talk radio, and then you have too much going on in your life that you can't just stop, you have all kinds of reasons for not reading the word. And the further you weigh from the word, the more difficult it will be. You pray occasionally. Some people, sadly, their most, their, you know, the prayer that they pray is for grace over their food, and even then they rush through it. We should be praying without ceasing, talking to the Lord continually about everything. The praise of God no longer rises in your heart. You don't think about him and all that he's done and worship begins to just come up. You begin singing worship songs. Out of, off your lips comes thanksgiving and glory to God. You don't do that anymore. You're frequently late or you miss church altogether. You started out at every, every time the church was open, you were there. You know, Psalms 122, verse 1, David said, I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. If you find more reasons not to be there, or you've got things going, so many things going that you can't be there, or you're too tired and you don't want to be there, you have forsaken your first love. Your sensitivity to sin has decreased. Your heart has gotten hardened. And because you're not in the word, because you're not in the presence of the word, because you're not talking to the word, you now become like the rest of the world. You call what is evil good. And you call what is good evil. Your sensitivity to sin, your hardened heart has decreased. Your conscience has been seared. And now you're willing to justify your sin. The sin that increased in your life, you're willing to justify it. These are all some sure signs that you have forsaken your first love. And in conclusion, the last slide. The Lord tells us, and each one of us need to examine ourselves. Remember where you have fallen from. When did you lose your first love? When did you quit loving the Lord? Because see, though he talked about the deeds that you did at first, see, you do things when you're in love with much fervor and different than you do when you're just going through the motion. The Lord said, if you don't, if you don't return, come to your first love, I'm coming to remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent and turn back. What lampstand was the Lord be removing? He'll remove you. We are the church. We are part of his temple. 
And if he, if we don't turn back to where we were, he says, I'll remove you. And examples of that removal is Mark 7, 23. When those, you know, Mark 7, 21, 23 frightened me the first time I read that because I'm looking at these people who have done powerful things for the Lord. They prophesied, they healed, they did all kinds of stuff. And the Lord said, I don't know you. And he removed them by saying, depart from me. He removed them from his presence. Jesus is standing in the midst of those lampstands, standing in the midst of those men and of those, you know, stars. He's holding them in his right hand, the messengers, and he says, I'll remove the lampstand. Basically, you're going to be removed from his presence. Luke 13, the same thing. These folks talk about we had fellowship. We ate with you in the streets. And the Lord says, I don't know you. Depart from me. You evildoers. Matthew 7, 23, it's lawlessness. For you who routinely sin and evildoers, same thing. You who routinely practice evil. We are the church of Ephesus. If we have lost our first love. Don't be deceived as thinking that what you're doing for God. Is all that you need. Because what you do for your works mean nothing if your heart is not in it. He doesn't need you to do works. He can do them or he can raise someone else. He can raise up rocks. Where is your heart? Where do you stand today? And I pray that each one of you who are listening to this will take it to heart. And talk to the Lord and ask the Lord, Lord, Father, have I fallen from my first love? Show me where I'm falling and restore my love. Restore me, Lord. Restore me. That's, that's the message. And I'm going to turn it back over to Pastor Edmund. Amen. Thank you, um, Pastor Catherine, and most importantly, thank you, Jesus. For those who are hearing today, um, anyone has any uh, comment or anything to share before we uh, take some time and pray? And this is a very important message. Just saying, there shouldn't be any crickets in the pastor's corners. I think the pastors over here are in, in agreement. Sorry, my faces. I don't think there's much more to add to it. I think the message is really clear. The matter of whether we choose to respond to it or not. Mm. In terms of, amen. 
in terms of uh, choosing to respond, um, you know, just like uh, Pastor Ray's message that the Lord gave him last week, the title was, Are You Thirsty? And, and I remember the Lord put in my heart that there will be some who in their mind and in their heart would not say out loud, but they would not relate because in their mind and in their heart, they're not thirsty. And that is why Jeremiah chapter two, uh, verse 13 came about. And earlier in the sermon, as Pastor Catherine mentioned that Jeremiah chapter two, verse one, uh, and two was talking about that loss of first love, what first love is supposed to be. But if you look at, not, sorry, and not but, and when you look at Jeremiah chapter two entirely, it begins with the loss of first love and it leads to apostasy. It leads to uh, people of God go from, you know, going into the gray area and then gray area, and then eventually into the opposite end uh, where God is. And they would not, uh, for once, think they're hungry or thirsty. And that is a problem. And so the word of God today is for especially the church of God. That's why Revelation chapter 2. And so a church will continue to be a church when it looks like it is not thirsty or hungry or um, there's a form of love, but not the first love. So uh, I wanted to encourage all of us in this scripture. When I say encourage, what I also meant is let's consider our own deeds, our own thoughts, where we're at, right? It's another place of examination. So it's Proverbs 27 verse 1 and verse 7 itself. So Proverbs 27 says, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. Each and every day, we have our accounted things that we want to do. And the things that we want to do often is a natural course of practice and desire that goes unchecked. But yet, here we're reminded that at the end, uh, Revelation 20 earlier when we read, all our deeds will be recorded. And so that's why it's important for uh, Proverbs 27 verse 1 reminds us to examine it. But we do not, we, can, we should not boast about tomorrow as if our plans are going to be blessed. Um, and in, again, it's a form of broken system. Now verse 7 though, it says, a sated man, a sated in other translation means a satisfied, a full, person who is full. A sated man loathes honey, but a famished man, any bitter things, is sweet. So what is it talking about? Is being full wrong? Uh, no, but the, but the description here in Proverbs 27, 7 is talking about a person who is full of himself, full of his own idea. Pastor Catherine said, you cannot love God when you love yourself. So a person who is full of their own belief, 
they create their own system, though it's broken, but they will keep them not thirsty nor hungry. They have a belief that they somehow believe that God will be okay with them. So when good things come, when God tries to give good wisdom, when God tries to give good teaching, they loathe it. They're like, I don't want it. It's maybe it's not for me. But here it contrasts to a famished man, a person who is humble, a person who would lay bare before God. Even any bitter things is sweet. In other words, I remember why some people drag their feet going to church. And I'm talking about way back when I was became a Christian, I began to recognize some of the difficulty of people getting excited to go to church because they were going to church for what they want, what they need. And when they don't get what they need and what they want, it's a drag. I remember somebody made a comment you know, I'd rather go to a church where my spirit is lifted up. There's great worship, great song. The sermon is so positive. It's so nice to be like, just be in a place where I am uplifted. Whereas some churches, when I go there, it's always ouch. Ouch this, ouch that. There's always many ouches. It's very stressful for me. So I know I need to go to church, but... Yeah, I get it. It's God's word, but it's ouch. But for that person, they don't realize God is actually bringing about a medicine to the soul if we are humble enough. And for those who, in this case, described here, but to a famished man, any bitter thing is sweet. Not only sweet, but it heals and it builds and it begins to transform us to become a stronger uh, uh, Christian, especially the time that we live in. And so that's the difference. Can you imagine a church full of people who say their faith is in Christ, but they are kind of made of tofu? You know, tofu doesn't have form. <laughs> tofu has a form. I, used, I like to use the word tofu because it has a form. But when the pressure comes, what happens to tofu? It crumbles. It crumbles and, 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 and take on a new shape. I don't think we're called to be a church of tofus, right? <laughs> I'm sorry, see, it sounds hilarious, but... But that's what the message is revealing. But yet we stand on a solid rock, Jesus Christ. We are to be built as a house, strong to withstand the storm that comes whenever it comes. And so I hope we all take to heart uh, as Pastor Jeannie and Pastor Rochelle here. Uh, 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 and we all agree there's, there's not much to add to except for the one to respond. So. Pastor yes, Pastor Ray. Oh, yeah, no, I apologize. I, I went and printed out uh, my slides toward the end, um, but definitely um, wanted to mention, like, excited to go over uh, the first couple slides on the Church of uh, um, uh, Ephesus and, and definitely go over that first. Uh, for me, and then uh, we'll we'll go through it with Cornerstone. But uh, thank God for the message, Pastor Catherine. It was it was possible, uh, powerful, and definitely um, uh, convicting. So we we're definitely going to be going through this even more. But I, I didn't want um, uh, my silence um, taken differently. 
long the Lord knows your heart. It's not about the hour. He knows what's going on because it could be that true for several other folks, pastors. So no, no, the as uh the Lord tells us, do not judge. So there's judgment free zone all over here. Amen. Amen. But also, Pastor Edmund, that was straight from the mouth of God, what you said. And it's like, I was like, wow, Lord, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. No tofu here either. Thank you, Jesus. If Jesus used parables to incite um, conviction in our heart, I hope in a sense what the Lord showed me in terms of the struggles that people constantly goes back to sometimes blame God for their own sin. And that's really the total faith. And so let's repent from that. Amen. All right. Uh, thank you, uh, Pastor Catherine. Thank you, Pastor Ray. Uh, same here at Logos. We are, I think the slide I, I forwarded already, the moment when Pastor Catherine talks about that, I forwarded to the men's group. And I, and I hope that all the men, especially, and I'm not excluding the ladies. I know the ladies, let me say this, the ladies are a lot more diligent. The men are not. I just lay it out there. I'm sorry. <laughs> the men are very undiligent. So men, please be a diligent man. Uh, maybe the way the, the way things are saying, be a man. Uh, step up like Pastor Ray. Be a man. Amen. All right. Sign with me. Sign with me. So I'm in this together with all of you uh, from every aspect of it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word. Lord, you are so faithful. Lord, we thank you for um, even touching on areas where it has become a, a very secular uh, uh, acceptance, even in the Christian church these days. Some of those areas are um, the way people wanted church to be, or the way people wanted how words are given to them. They want it happy, they want it joyful, they want it uh, like a sensual song but they don't want any of the wisdom. They don't want any of the healing that can come from such wisdom and power and life. Father, conviction to those who are hungry are amazing. They are, they are truly medicine to the soul, but yet people are so accustomed to eating junk food, spiritual junk food. So Father, how can a church who are accustomed to eating spiritual junk food withstand the end of times, it will not last at all, even a day. All it would take is one event specific to any specific individual who are not ready, and that event will crumble that person. And so, Father, thank you, Lord. Today is a message of love. The reason why is because love means, God, you care. You care for our well-being. Let us not uh, take the things that seems to be painful and, and disregard it. But yet, Lord, for those who listen today, they're truly honey. They're truly honey. They're sweet. So, Father, thank you. Thank you for such care and blessing and love for each and every one of us today. No wonder, Lord, you said, those who have ears, let them hear. Lord, your word has 
stood the test of time for those who don't believe, but yet, Lord, through time, it continued to stand true. And for our Father, we pray. Many who hear today will come to a place of learning, uh, humility, and in that, Lord, raise up men and women, parents and children, that many generations, Lord, will continue to be faithful until the end. And so, Father, today is another message that reminds us, teach us how to number our days. Father, we thank you and that we pray that as a church, no matter uh, who we are, where we are from, what culture, uh, our upbringing, Father, we only have one culture, that is culture of Jesus Christ and the gospel of truth. Father, that we always aim, Lord, each and every day as a, as a, as a, as a gracious and merciful opportunity for us to live the way you design, design for us to live as Christians who truly follow Jesus Christ. And so, Father, with that, may, that, may there be more testimonies about the work of Christ in our lives. Father, there are many today who have Bibles printed out. There are some countries who don't. But here in America, there's freedom. But yet the freedom is not being applied. It's not being used in the way that they could um, help others. Father, we pray that we would not trample our freedom in the way that we use it for our own selfish use. Father, that we will not trample your name, your blood, for our selfishness. So, Father, we pray. Let there, as many that are here today, as we hear your word, let there be a spirit of repentance, not just saying, I'm sorry, Lord, but to be circum circumspect the way, to be living circumspectfully the way we live. So, Father, thank you, and let that be the spirit of repentance in all the churches here, Cornerstone, Tribal, and Logos, Lord, because you call us to come back to the first love. Thank you, Lord. Bless each and every person today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.